0: Okay. No echo. All right. Voice of God, two weeks in a row. Uh, (laughs) uh, It is so good to be worshiping with you guys this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Jake. I'm the worship gathering director here, and I have the honor uh, and joy of walking together with you through Ruth chapter three. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us too. Uh, We would just love to see you sometime in person. Um, Well, as Aaron mentioned last week, uh, we're going to be walking through uh, Ruth chapter 3 this morning. And for those of you who are visiting with us, perhaps for the first time. We've been studying the book of Ruth, which takes takes us back about 3,000 years in history. Uh, Ruth occurs during the time of the period of the Judges, uh, which was around 1200 BC. And so we've been discovering some very important lessons about the love of God that have emerged through the narrative of Ruth. Not only was Ruth showing a committed love to Naomi by determining herself to stay with her to the end, But God shows a committed love perfectly to us. And not only uh, was Boaz generous towards Ruth as she gleaned in the field with his servants, but God is also infinitely generous toward us. And so today we will be learning about God's providential love for us through his sovereignty using the different relationships uh, and efforts in our passage today. And so if you've been joining us this past couple weeks, you'll hopefully recall that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons traveled from Bethlehem in the land of Judah to uh, the country of Moab, which was basically the enemy. Uh, and they traveled due to a severe famine uh, that was just taken out uh, a lot of people during that time. So out of desperation, they moved. And unfortunately, in that time... Um, you know, Naomi's husband passes away. He dies. Her sons marry two uh, Moabite women. And then her sons also pass away. Uh, and so then it's just Naomi and her daughters-in-law. And um, they, in, in her mourning, Naomi resolves to return to uh, her roots and travel back to Judah. And even though she urges both of her daughters-in-law to head back home uh, to to their families in Moab, to to remain under the protection of their families, and eventually remarry, Ruth hears Naomi's case and says, no. Kind of like the first song that we sang this morning uh, that Sam led. um, She said, no, and and I'm going to stay with you to the end. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. And so they, they travel back to Bethlehem. Aaron's noted that Bethlehem means house of bread. And Ruth goes to Glean in a field as to help provide for themselves and, and finds generous favor in the eyes of Boaz, one of Naomi's relatives, one of their family's kinsmen redeemers, which Aaron also alluded to last week. And as we dig into Ruth chapter three this morning, um I want us to get a sense of the conversations taking place between uh, Naomi and Ruth and Ruth and Boaz, uh, because sometimes we can read the Bible kind of merely as a story and not take in the reality that these were real people in a real circumstance at a real place in time. Uh, So I want to invite uh, some folks to come up and read who would love to read the part of Naomi. Naomi. All right, hand shot up over there, Jenny Anderson. I do have scripts. You guys don't have to memorize it. All right, All right. who wants to read the part of Ruth? No, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to read the part of Ruth? All right, come on up. And who wants to read the part of Boaz? Matt, okay, I'll accept it. <laughs> that is acceptable. All right, so let's, uh, let's get you mics here. Jenny, would you mind just reading from that one? There you go. All right, and I will be the uh, narrator here. So you can follow along in Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, say I will do. Yeah, it's it's going to be yellow Mike. Say it again. All that you say I will do. Matt, let's, let's alt. <laughs> All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain... Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? <laughs> and she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are redeemer. And he said, May be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? then she told her all that the man had done for her saying these six measurements of barley he gave to me for he said to me you "You must must not go go back back empty-handed to your your mother-in-law she replied wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today all right let's give it up for our readers this morning yeah Matt Townsley offering to read for Ruth man they just hand those scripts out to anybody uh. <laughs> all right so as we are getting into Ruth chapter 3 uh, there are a few Old Testament concepts too in fact that we need to kind of familiarize ourselves with uh, Aaron had mentioned uh, earlier or Past couple of weeks, this concept of the Redeemer, but there's actually a, uh, another concept that we need to understand before we take on that one. Uh, so, the first concept is that of the leveret. Uh, the noun is levir, which is a Latin word that translates the Hebrew for brother in law. Uh, and in this process, according to the Mosaic law, it was to regulate marriage customs uh, when the man of the house died. So God, in his provision, rather than uh, leaving everything up to the whims of people who would likely take advantage of such a loss, if there was a death of the husband within the family framework, then God had determined a way in which the family would be cared for. We actually find this in Deuteronomy uh, 25, that if a husband dies and leaves his wife without a son to succeed as the heir of their family, but that past husband has a brother, the brother would step in to fulfill the role of the husband to marry and hopefully, eventually, bear a son under the name of his brother, the husband who had passed away, to preserve their family line. Uh, Now, just full disclosure, this was not a mandated law. Um, However, if the brother did not wish to fulfill this role, it was considered somewhat of a cultural dishonor. Um, we, we have to remember, they did live in a patriarchal society where women did not necessarily share the same degree of power or, or even have the same amount of access uh, that men had. But God provided the leveret as a way to protect and provide for the needs of widows by the means of a male provider, uh, as well as to preserve the property and inheritance for now and future generations. The second concept is now that of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, And as Aaron shared a bit last week, this was a relative who had a responsibility to do all that was necessary to secure the land and to support those who were their next of kin. Um, And so they would essentially step into, recover, and restore the family out of loss or debt. And like the Leveret, uh, the law of Moses made provision for people in this circumstance on two fronts. Uh, one was in relationship to the issue of the family line and the relationship to the issues of property and possessions. Um, Now, the purpose in all this that God was doing was so that God would preserve a people for himself uh, so that the names of Israel would continue down the line and so that the property which belonged to Israel would remain with Israel. And so God is just making provision for all of this through the Old Testament. So like I said, that is the background for our passage today. So let's dig back into chapter 3. And Naomi, despite the misery she's endured uh, with the loss of her husband and the bitterness that has just encompassed her life, we see that Naomi's concern is for Ruth, and that Ruth would be taken care of and settled in her life, which, moms, I, I think you would say that's an understandable maternal concern. Now, remember how she initially expresses that concern in Ruth 1, when she urges her daughters-in-law to go back home to their families so that they may eventually uh, remarry. And seeing the generosity that Boaz has displayed toward Ruth, Naomi starts nudging Ruth in his direction. And and nudging is probably an understatement, understatement of the year. Uh, you, You can definitely hear this in her voice. Isn't Boaz one of our relatives? Isn't, isn't he the one who turns out to be one of our kinsmen redeemers? After all, you shared with me about Boaz. Isn't he a pretty nice guy? You don't have a husband. And as far as we know, he doesn't have a wife. He's been very kind to you, Ruth. And I happen to know where he's going to be this evening. And it's time for you to turn the heat up. And so Naomi tells Ruth to get ready to present herself in such a way that my wife, Grace, would probably uh, describe as getting zhuzhed up. Um, you can ask her where that comes from because I'm not going to. Uh, um, now, I don't have a three-point sermon for you today. Uh, and if I did, I'd probably get in trouble. Um, you know, uh, get cleaned up, get dressed up, and get yourself a man. Not a a good three points, Uh, and it's not applicable to men. Uh, And so I also need to note just with this passage that from a 21st century Western cultural perspective, it's also very hard to not read into it some sort of sensual or or, or sexual uh, emphasis into this narrative because so much of it is just so foreign to us. You know, uncover his feet, ask him to spread his garment over you, stay until the morning. Is this like a romance novel in the Bible? And maybe a little bit. And yet, coupled with Boaz stuffing six measures of barley into her shawl and, and telling her, Be blessed, my daughter beckons this narrative to actually tell us something that is grounded culturally and also something more deeply significant. First of all, I I think it's common sense. Like on your first date with someone who could potentially be your future husband or wife, you should probably take a shower and brush your teeth. Spouses, can you attest to that? Yes. Uh, Guys, you should probably... Wear something nice and comb your hair. I, I say wear something nice. I mean wear something clean. Wear something clean and comb your hair. Uh, and gals, you, you should probably wear some perfume or put on some mascara. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You just, <laughs> you just do you. Uh, and if this is someone you're interested in, potentially seriously interested in spending the rest of your life with you want to put your best foot forward so that hopefully they reciprocate a similar interest in you. And while that's, the, that's maybe the cultural thing, there's also a second thing uh, that is also important and deeply significant to this narrative, um, that Ruth would have been expressing just simply more than her interest by getting zhuzhed up. You see, in that culture, it was appropriate for widows who had lost their husbands to express their mourning outwardly through their attire. Um, it, It signaled to men that, hey, this woman has just lost her husband, her provider, her father of her children. She's off limits for now. And so Naomi is encouraging Ruth to express to Boaz through a change of attire, not not through having her change attire. Okay. Stupid car joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) Through her change of her attire that her season of mourning has passed and that she is ready and and, and available to remarry. In in other words, she's single and ready to mingle. Uh, And in fact, the word Referring to her cloak in the Hebrew actually describes that of a heavy mantle, which would be worn as to convey anonymity and to shield her from uh, others, creating a sense in which she was dressing like a woman would dress for marriage. There was a sense of decorum and restraint and majesty to it. And there was a particular daily rhythm that Naomi was aware of that from uh, late afternoon to early evening, the wind would rise up from the sea, and that would be the time for threshing. That would be the time when Boaz and his employees uh, would thresh on the hillside outside their village. They'd throw the animal-trodden grain up into the air for the wind to blow away uh, as to retain all that was good and beneficial to their harvest. And this is how Naomi knew when Ruth should head on over. And can I just point out, like, how Naomi proves her character in this, that despite what she's experienced, despite the bitterness that has been encompassing her whole life, that she is not begrudging, Naomi's not begrudging Ruth of remarriage. Like, she isn't so bitter that she would exude bitterness that she would be so self-focused as to try to keep a good thing, a potential husband, a generous provider, and a great comfort from her daughter-in-law, who also happens to be a widow. We see that Naomi is able to sympathize and recognize uh, that Ruth needs to be cared for and protected and happy. So as we move Into verse 6 and onward, we we see that Ruth uh, gets ready. She heeds Naomi's instruction, and she heads on down to the threshing floor. And Naomi gave very clear instructions for for Ruth as to how she should approach Boaz, That, that after he's exercised his responsibilities on the threshing floor and would eventually fall asleep after his meal, that that is when she should approach him. And there, there needed to be a little bit of tact to it. Uh, she needed to be discreet, uh, not only to keep this encounter between them private, but also for the protection of her life and her reputation. What if the wrong guy sees her? And what if the wrong guy recognizes her? Her life could be put in danger, And her reputation could be dragged through the mud. Remember, this is a Moabite woman, a Gentile, in a Jewish Israelite land. So what could be done to her or what could be said about her and spread around would be worse than something we would like done to us or said about us. And so Ruth needs to be discreet. And Ruth places herself in a situation of extreme vulnerability. Here's a single woman heading on down to a barn full of men who've just gotten in a good mood. They've eaten and they've drank. And so she has to be extremely careful. And now after a fulfilling day of work and ending with the evening of a good meal, these guys are going to go find a bed at night probably going to lay down on the barn somewhere, on the floor. And so the instruction Naomi gave Ruth is that she should go down to the threshing floor, not to interrupt Boaz during his meal, but to make sure that she finds out where he lays down. Because once he's asleep and it's dark, she's going to approach him and uncover his feet. And Ruth does not want to uncover the wrong person's feet. That could be a, a disaster. So on the strength of Naomi's word and trusting in the providence of God, Ruth proceeds with the plan. Ruth didn't know much beyond, you know, wash your face, put on your clothes, get your perfume, uh, uncover his feet, and he will tell you what to do. Like if anything, if, if I've given any of my friends dating advice that is that loose and uncertain, I don't think that's an airtight plan. (laughs) For <laughs> like, for like, approaching a relationship in that, uh, and so um, there's there's a lot of uncertainty, and yet she goes for it. She she trusts God with this, um, and so here's here's the moment you've all been waiting for, the question you've been dying to hear the answer to. What's the deal with the uncovering of his feet? This is for all you Bluey fans, me included. Um, So the deal with uncovering his feet is actually kind of boring. Uh, And I'm I'm really relieved about that, actually. Uh, So she uncovered Boaz's feet as to wake him up and not startle him too much. Yes that it's that boring. Um and and so have you ever like have you ever been asleep and then your foot just shoots out from under the covers and it's just it's just cold enough to the point where it wakes you up and so you've got to resettle yourself, get recovered. That is what Ruth is doing in a way to wake him up that is not uh going to lay any hands on him or in any way that would be physically inappropriate. She's also going to lay down at his feet when he discovers her. And so I I do need to, as I mentioned um, earlier, I do need to address that there are some commentators who will try to draw a connection uh, with the Hebrew language between the feet and what I'm going to say as the nethers, Okay, Uh, when it comes to the Hebrew language, it's a poetic language inherently, uh, and and they're going to try to imply that this was a Hebrew euphemism um, or that this, this interaction had a sexual element to it. But nearly all commentators who put forward this argument ignore the entire surrounding context of this story. Like... Ruth is a woman of great character who Boaz and his men have said, this is a worthy woman. Like, Boaz, in chapter 2, we just read last week, he even commends her for what she's done, like leaving her home and staying with Naomi, living as a foreigner in an unfamiliar land. And then, In this act of laying at his feet, even though he's been startled to find her there, he explicitly says that this is an even greater kindness that she has shown to him than what she had shown to Ruth. Because in laying down at his feet, she is not only communicating that she respects him and that she's at his service, but she's also proposing marriage. And so... When he asks her who she is, she, just, she doesn't just say, I'm Ruth, your servant. She keeps going. Uh, Naomi had told her to introduce herself, let Boaz tell you what to do, and Ruth keeps going. She says, spread your wings, which would refer to, uh, the, the wings would be like the, the fringes of his garment. Which would also refer to please provide refuge, take me in, and she says, spread your wings, spread your garment, give me, give refuge over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And now, before anybody says oh, scandal, you know, or you know, you go girl, like shatter that glass ceiling. Um, I had, to, I had to withhold from doing like a, a valley girl impression for them. Uh, I think we need to recognize that uh, this was not at all uncommon in the case of the kinsman-redeemer dynamic. Um, you see, women who were caught up in the Leverett process, in, in this case, were actually entitled to approach and pursue the redeemer Perhaps, you know, if the man was just unaware or if he was trying to avoid and was hesitant towards stepping into that responsibility. So as Ruth approaches Boaz, though she initiates, her plea is such that she is actually calling on him to, the be, to be the doer who acts so that she may be the receiver of his action. And because Boaz is the honorable man that he is, he honors her. He knows her plight. He's seen her proven integrity. And he's willing to step up to the plate. But if you notice, if you look in the text at verse 12, there's actually a kinsman closer than him. There's, there's actually a uh, a person, a relative, who's closer than, then Boaz, who's supposed to fulfill this role as the kinsman redeemer. And while Boaz is willing, because he is an honorable man, he's not about to circumvent the whole process so that he can get what he wants. Women, can, can we just acknowledge that that's like a trait of integrity right there? Like he's not going to try to figure some way out to get you that's dishonest. And now, considering the context of the passage that I shared about these cultural, societal provisions, it kind of makes you wonder, like, the, the fact that there is another kinsman, like, was Naomi trying to, like, by this approach to Boaz, uh, try, trying to get this other kinsman to, like, recognize his responsibilities and step in? And while that's a hypothetical, I don't think that's Naomi's intention, because by urging Ruth in this direction, it just becomes gradually more apparent that any action on the part of Boaz wasn't going to be because of his responsibility on, on the requirements of the law, but it was actually going to be based on the generosity of his heart. And so Boaz, like Naomi and Ruth, trusts God in his providence. You know, he, he says, you know, if the closer kinsman comes in, steps up, and fulfills his duties, so be it. That's good. Like, Naomi and Ruth would be provided for. They'd be taken care of. But if that man steps down, Boaz promises to Ruth that as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So he has her stay until morning to help conceal her from harm, from uh, both the sake of her physical protection, because, you know, who knows, might be walking around at night, and to protect her reputation, because who knows what uh, someone might say, what rumor they might spread about Ruth, you know, if she's doing the quote-unquote walk of shame from a barn full of men. And so Boaz is trying to protect her life, and her reputation by having her just stay until the morning. And so, she walks home in the morning. She's, she's got the, the six measures of barley on her back. She brings that home. Uh, and when she returns to Naomi, Naomi's ready for the girl talk. Like, how'd it go? What did he say? Spill it. Tell me everything. And so Ruth tells her everything, everything from his generosity to his integrity to let the process play out and not jump the gun and his willingness to step up to the plate to redeem her. And not only to redeem Ruth, but through this uh, leveret process, he would also be redeeming Naomi's family as well. And Boaz tells Ruth as he sends her home with a shawl full of barley, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Do you remember at the end of Ruth chapter 1, they've come back home, the people are saying, "Is is this Naomi? Which means pleasant. And Naomi responds, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter, because the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. I had a husband. I had two sons. We had a future. And Yahweh brought me back empty. Can you imagine the hope that would have sparked in Naomi's mind and her heart? when she hears the words of Boaz, that despite her tragic losses and her grief-stricken bitterness, God had her safely in the palm of his hand. You can hear the, the sense of palpable hope and confidence when she responds to the words of Boaz. She says to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For Boaz will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, I'm I'm not going to spoil how the story ends. Um, Come back next week. Ed is going to finish off uh, Ruth uh, in chapter 4 with us next week. And like I said, I I do not have a three-point sermon for you today. If you walk away from this with, you know, get cleaned up, get dressed up, get yourself a man, uh, we got to talk after service because that's a serious problem. Um, But there is one thing I do want you to walk away with. See how in God's sovereign rule over all things from joy or sorrow, from victories to tragedies, from birthday parties to funerals, God, in His love for us, provides exactly what we need, precisely when we need it, according to His perfect will. And by no means do I think uh, that. We're, we're going to always be able to see the way in which God is, is weaving himself into our stories, nor, nor do I think we'll fully grasp um, why God lets some things happen and not other things. But our lives are not happenstance. God is in the midst of it all, working all things together for the good of those who love him. All things, Paul says in Romans 8. Not some things. Not just a few things. Not not a majority of the good things. All things. And so despite the loss of their husbands, God in his love provides Naomi and Ruth with the comfort of a relationship that only a mother and daughter can share. Despite their vulnerability and poverty, God in his love provides Ruth with a field to glean in which not, you know, well, just so happens. No, he does so in his sovereignty that he he made it so that she would glean in not just anyone's field, but in Boaz's field. And despite her heritage as a foreign woman, living in an unfamiliar, potentially hostile environment, God, in his love, provides Ruth with Boaz's favor and generosity. And despite the risk she was taking by putting herself at the feet of a kinsman redeemer who was second in line, God, in his love, provides Ruth, a woman of great character and virtue in need of redemption, he provides her with Boaz, a man of great compassion and honor who is ready and willing to redeem. So let's entrust ourselves into the perfect will, into the mighty hands, into the providential love of God. And, and before we move towards taking communion together, I want to point us to one more element of the story I think is especially important as we're walking through the book of ruth does boaz remind you of anybody Jesus. <laughs> like as we're as we're walking through this text like every time we see boaz we should have a gut feeling like boaz feels familiar like, his his words echo and his demeanor reminds me of someone who would not only willingly give out of his wealth to pay a debt, but give his entire life to pay it in full. He reminds me of somebody. Yeah. It does remind you of somebody. Somebody that Bridget creepily whispered. <laughs> it is. If we had all the kids in, it'd be Jesus. It's, it's because... Boaz is the kinsman redeemer that foreshadows our kinsman redeemer. Whose name is? There we go. Jesus, who became one with us in everything except our sinfulness, that he might redeem us. That as Boaz dealt with and cared for Ruth, so Christ deals with and cares for every one of his people who repent and believe in him. As Ruth casts herself at Boaz's feet, so we should cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus. She depended upon Boaz's mercy. We depend upon Jesus's mercy. She was covered by the corner of his garment. We are covered by the blood of the covenant by which God welcomes us with a steadfast providential love. Ruth was introduced to all the peace, all the contentment, all of the security by being brought under Boaz. And we, in the shadow of Christ, find that he soothes our sorrows, he calms our fears, and he dries every tear. She's walking up the road, she's burdened by all of Boaz's benefits, the six measures of barley. And we, as we go about our lives, are getting to be made aware of the provision that God has made for us through his Son. Boaz took Ruth into himself to make her his bride. That's the only spoiler for chapter four that I'm going to give you. And Christ, the bridegroom, takes us to himself and makes us his bride. Have you cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and asked him to make you his own? And if you haven't, why not today? Why not ask him to cover you by the sacrifice that he has made for you through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? Let's go to the table together. This is the good news of what God has done to forgive us of our sins, to justify us in his sight, and to accomplish our redemption. That, as Ephesians tells us, Paul says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserved to die. And he was buried and risen to life again by God's power on the third day. And so if you are a Christian, whether you've been a part of Riverwood for a while, or this is your first week with us, if you follow Jesus, we want to invite you to partake in communion with us. That as we take the bread, Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross in our place for our sins, and as we take the juice, his blood that was shed to cover the sins of many, that by it we would be washed clean and pure and white as snow as he clothes us in his own righteousness, that we would take that together. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're in a place where you're like, Jake, I I don't think I believe this. I, I don't think I can... Stand for this. I just want to remind you that we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, We started Riverwood for you. Thank you for for being with us this morning. And I just want to take off all pressure um, that you don't have to walk up and come to these elements, the left or right, uh, to try to prove something or try to say something. Because if you're not in relationship with Christ, then you don't know what you're doing. So I want to take off pressure. No one's here to watch you do something. But if you sense that God would be drawing himself to you if if your mind is just wrecked by his providential love for you, and you feel that he's drawing you closer to himself, that he's stirring your heart to not only receive him, but to give him your life in return i want to invite you talk to one of the elders who are here or you can talk to me after service um, and we would love to have a conversation with you we would love to to help and, and walk along this journey with you because uh, if today or tomorrow or in this next week or in this next month It's your spiritual birthday where you are born again from death to life. We want to be here for you. We we want to testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ alongside you. Church, let's take these elements together.